There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Prospect Magazine's podcast, Headspace, where we bring together prospect editors and experts and push the question, what's the big idea? I'm Tom Clark and this week my colleagues Jay Elwes and Alex Dean spoke to Antoinette Sandback, the Conservative MP and Remainer Westminster. The Commons has been debating Brexit again. All sorts of legislation has been chewed over, including one very contentious amendment on whether Parliament gets a meaningful vote on the final deal. It was very clear to me that the Minister speaking at the dispatch box hadn't had the opportunity or wasn't there for the discussion that we had with the Prime Minister. So I fully expect uh, the government to come forward with an amendment. Um, And if they don't, I believe we will table, one will be tabled in the Lords. It's complicated stuff, but the survival of Theresa May, the government and perhaps even the Tory party all hinge on it. We go over now to their conversation. Antoinette Sandback, thank you very much indeed for coming in. Uh, It's been a very busy 48 hours. Um, It seems that the government uh, has promised one thing and then has decided to promise another to different parts of the Conservative Party. Um, Could you just fill us in on exactly what's going on as regards the Brexit bill? So obviously the Brexit bill came back from the Lords. It came back with amendments, um, which initially it looked like the government was going to reject them all. But as we've seen over the last two days, they've actually accepted a number of amendments. And the particularly important one is the Northern Ireland Amendment, uh, which guarantees that the government will, that any any deal will cover the whole of the UK, which was incredibly important. I'm a Conservative and a Unionist. And I don't think it would have been acceptable to have a border in the Irish Sea. So uh, that means the solution that will be found will be found for the whole of the UK. Can you talk a bit about um, the kind of circus that surrounded the meaningful vote? What is the meaningful vote and what's happened happened with it over the past few days? So the meaningful vote is the opportunity for Parliament to vote on the deal that the government's coming back with. As the executive, the government obviously has the ability to sign treaties um, and the the, the legality around those treaties is normally it's accept or reject. Now, we we haven't had the government's position published yet and I think it's really important that Parliament has a say on the deal that comes through and in fact in December the government said it was their policy to give Parliament a say. Now, that concession came very late and it was voted on in December. Uh, It was an amendment that went into the bill. Is that the Grieve Amendment? 
that was the Grieve Amendment yeah. in, in December that that on a meaningful vote it's then come it was changed in the House of Lords and I do accept that the amendment in the House of Lords did create some constitutional difficulties about potentially Parliament directing the government and I don't think that was the intention behind the amendment. The really crucial thing is that the amendment that came back from the Lords did not deal with this position of no deal. What happens if there's no deal mm. or Parliament rejects uh, the deal that's offered from the EU? And that is what the Dominic Grieve Amendment was that was laid um, in Parliament very late in the day on, on Monday night for the debate on Tuesday. That... Uh, amendment is the one that we're discussing about where what the government has accepted and um, I haven't seen the text of the proposed amendment yet but the government have accepted again that parliament should have a say in that process if there's no deal. So Jay you mentioned that uh, you think maybe there's been contradictory promises made by the government to two different camps. Well yeah we were following the debate in Parliament pretty closely and we were astounded when the Solicitor General stood up and effectively started trying to bargain with Dominic Grieve um, on the floor of the Commons. Yeah. I mean, we, we've never seen anything yeah. quite like that before. Legislative horse training. And then there seemed to become a, become a period where various people were being taken outside and having were having conversations and I think that you were one of them. Could you say anything about what happened in that period? So obviously we went outside and met with the Prime Minister. Um, it was quite clear, I think, from the debate on the floor of the House that had we not had that conversation, it was very likely that the Lord's Amendment would have been put back in the bill and there would have been no opportunity for the government to take that out. So because it would have, it was an, an existing amendment that would have stood and have, would have been voted for. Um, the Prime Minister uh, spoke to us and uh, assured us that she would take into account our concerns, effectively accepting A and B of Dominic's amendments and then uh, saying that there were some issues around the C part of that amendment. Um, and I'm, am I right in thinking that kind of it's a, this amendment splits into three parts, A, B and C, and as you kind of work through the letters, the role of Parliament becomes stronger. So C yes. is the real kind of clincher that... So C um, put a date in February where um, if no deal had been reached by that stage, and in effect negotiations had totally broken down, um, I think at that point in February we'd be in, in quite a political crisis. And I mm. think it's really important to have changes put, put in legislation now that make a clear process when when we're not in a moment of crisis so that it's very clear on the face of the bill what Parliament's role will be. And for that, I, I don't see it as a wrecking amendment. I know that, um, you know, the popular press are reporting it as that, but it isn't. It's giving, as you say, Parliament an increasing role as we get nearer uh, the leave date, which I think is is what would happen anyway. Your fellow Conservative Jacob Rees-Mogg, um, who's on the completely the opposite side of this argument to you, um, has written in the Times saying that there's a constitutional issue here, which I think you referred to as having come up in the Lords uh, in December, which is when you have uh, Parliament effectively acting 
uh, as as the executive. So if Parliament is directing government affairs, it's become the executive. And he says you can't have that. And that was something that also Vernon Bogdanor. Uh, wrote about in the Observer, I think this weekend. He brought up the same kind of constitutional quibble. Do you, do you see any trouble there with Parliament, like as Alex says, kind of taking charge of such a big issue? Well, Dominic Greaves' amendment actually dealt with that because parts A and B did not permit Parliament to mandate or direct. So. Mm. Uh, the government had to come forward, they had to explain what was happening uh, and effectively that gave Parliament an opportunity to discuss it but no opportunity to direct. Um, the C part of the amendment did contain the ability to direct or mandate or uh, that that form of words and frankly if we get to February and we haven't got a solution or an agreement, which has always been the government's aim and ambition, and I support them in that ambition. I want an agreement. Um, it deals with the no deal scenario and what I would describe as a cliff edge. I think no deal is deeply damaging for the UK. And you, you said that the the Prime Minister said that, uh, that there was an assurance that you would get some sort of amendment that was in line with parts A and B. C was trickier, but that there would be some sort of amendment. But later, it, 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 the, the, the wording slightly changed to that you would be given a discussion on an amendment, which seemed to be a, a backward step. Is that something that troubles you at all? Uh, no, it doesn't, because I went and saw the Prime Minister and I know what she said, and I know that what was... The, the, some of the comments that were made uh, by ministers, they weren't in the room. And, you know, this was all very fast moving, as you said. So um, it was very clear to me that the minister speaking at the dispatch box hadn't had the opportunity or wasn't there for the discussion that we had with the prime minister. So I fully expect uh, the government to come forward with an amendment. Um, and if they don't, I believe we will table, one will be tabled in the Lords. So can I put it to you that um, there's kind of a an irreconcilable, a fun, kind of fundamental, um, unbridgeable gap between the vision of some of the more kind of Remainy-leaning politicians in the Tory party, yourself included, and some of the more Brexity-leaning politicians in the Tory party, Jacob Rees-Mogg included, and that any solution that satisfies the demands of your camp is going to almost necessarily... Um, kind of aggravate the other camp and it's it, the fudge that has been temporarily struck and maybe got the government through another day maybe even another week um, is going to come unstuck at some point. I think it's unfair to say that that's an unbridgeable gap just in the Conservative Party. I mean yesterday we also saw a vote on the EEA amendment where 90 Labour MPs rebelled against their frontline front bench position and their front bench position, as Keir Starmer outlined it, actually was pretty well no different from the government's position in terms of what they want to achieve, which is a negotiated deal um, that includes some form of customs arrangement. And um, But there are some people in the Conservative Party who ideologically want a really hard Brexit. And I would argue that there is an unbridgeable gap between them and and people that want a more sensible Brexit that will preserve the economic ties that we have with Europe. So when that uh, kind of hard Brexit camp 
is disappointed when the Prime Minister sticks to her promise, as you think she will, and kind of comes through on this on this new amendment. What's going to happen then? Well, I've given up predicting anything in this process. <laughs> very wise. Yeah. Uh, very, I mean, very wise. You know, we are seeking extraordinary times in Parliament. That SNP walking out yesterday was just ridiculous. And, you know, I, we, we are seeing things happen in Parliament. But I think you know, that people have to realise that we have to really focus on the issues. And the issue is, what is our future relationship with Europe going to look like? And we we have got integrated supply chains, we've got close relationships on, on security. We're seeing some of the consequences of being a third party nation with the Galileo um, project. That's the Brexit satellite stuff. Yes. Yeah. And um, and I very much regret that Europe is taking such a hard line on the Galileo project. But the reality is, is we, if we don't come to a deal that gives us some kind of EFTA or EA style of, uh, agreement, we will be a third party country. But you didn't vote for the EA amendment, did you? Uh, no, I made it very clear in my speech. I mean, I've signed the amendments uh, that have been tabled. I think 15 of us have now signed the amendments that have been tabled to the customs trade bills and um but i th- i think it's incredibly important that the prime minister has a mandate to go and negotiate as she has outlined strike the agreement in relation to northern ireland and the backstop and publish uh, the vision that the cabinet have and um for what our future arrangement looks like and um i think it's reasonable to say I would also say that the EU withdrawal bill is a process bill, which is why Dominic's amendments were relevant in terms of the meaningful vote, whereas um, the trade and customs bills are more about the policy direction and therefore it is more appropriate to uh, have those amendments dealt with there than in this bill. Uh, So you think that the true fight is coming in what a month or so's time? I don't know when those bills will come back. Okay. You've given up forecasting again. Right, very yeah. <laughs> you mentioned, though, very interestingly, the 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 Labour vote uh, yesterday and how many people uh, rebelled. Uh, lots of people resigned from their positions in in uh, uh, in the the shadow uh, setup. Um, our colleague um, Alex um, Steve Bloomfield wrote a great essay in the most recent issue about the Labour Party's problems when it comes to foreign policy and the competing interests that Jeremy Corbyn has to deal with there. He has his beliefs but has to bring along all sorts of other people with him. And it's it's interesting and it was brought out yesterday when you look at the Labour Party, but to, to broaden it out so it's non-partisan, the parties in Parliament now seem to consist of these factions. Um, the late Jeremy Corbyn has got his factions, the Momentum people, his own front bench, people who don't want Brexit, so the remnants of the Blairite past and so on and um, the conservative party has have got their different elements in it you know people who want to leave remain etc 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 um it's really unusual to look at these broken up political parties sitting in parliament because they don't seem to be left and right anymore it's a big mess um in in the commons what well, how do you think that plays out well i i actually think that that reflects what's happening in society that's the whole consequences of the the Brexit referendum and I would argue that unrealistic promises were made during that referendum that to my mind are undeliverable Um, and 
we heard lots of promises from the Leave campaign around, um, you know, it doesn't mean that we're going to leave the single market. It, nobody's suggesting, why can't we, we're going to leave the single market. Farage said, why can't we be like Norway? And, you know, so our country has those differences of opinion. Um, I uh, find myself very re- resentful of the fact that I'm labelled a Remainer. I was I would have called myself a reluctant Remainer because I firmly believe that the EU needs and needed substantial reform. And I am um, accept the referendum result. You know, I'm not trying to overthrow that result. But I've uh, spent 13 years as a lawyer... I'm trained to look at evidence. I've spent 18 months sitting on the Bayes Select Committee and we've had published report after report that calls for close customs arrangements, for regulatory alignment. I have sat through months and months of evidence. And I think some of the issues around rules of origin are so complicated. So that's kind of a trading clause that deters kind of concerns the source of a product yes, and what, that and, and what for... percentage it is. So, for example, our trade deal with, with South Korea, we have through the EU and the trade deals that they've organised. And I think it specifies that 54% of the components of a car have to come from the EU. If we rolled over that deal, our cars wouldn't qualify to export to um South Korea because the perce- the percentage component, which is UK, wouldn't satisfy the requirement. These things are so complex and it's, you know, easy slogans are not going to deliver Brexit. If we want to have a good Brexit for this country, then we really have to drill down into the detail. And I'm not seeing that in the public debate. I'm just not seeing it. Okay, so... Um you know, a huge amount of complexity swirling around in the system. Um, maybe some buyer's remorse going to kick in when you think the Leave campaign made undeliverable promises. Maybe there's going to be a rude awakening from the public. Jay, you mentioned kind of the fractured political landscape and unbridgeable divides in, in the parties. This feels like a moment of real uncertainty in British politics. Um, you know, what what do you think, Jay? Could we see another general election? Could we see in the second referendum, Tory leadership contest? It feels like anything could happen. <laughs> well, I'm I'm with Antoinette. I'm not in the in the market for making big time predictions <laughs> at all. But uh, but from everything that you described and what I was just mentioning about Labour and the Conservative having these different components within the parties that are all kind of against each other, um, what I was what I was just tilting at was the the possibility that the parties are no longer fit for purpose really and and that's so that's not so much a prediction as a kind of statement of evident fact based on the political circumstances that we see sort of in front of us now and looking at for example the conservative party and looking at for example the european research group i mean that to my mind that calls to mind the kind of the party within a party that the labor party of neil kinnock had trouble with back in the 1980s i don't know what what your sense is about the extent of the division on your own benches and whether that could lead to a, a bigger fracture somewhere down the line? Well, as I've already said, I, I, I'm not going to make predictions, but I think what the colleagues that are on the other extreme of the argument from me need to consider whether or not they, they want 
Brexit. I don't advocate a second referendum. I think the first one's been hugely divisive. Mm. I don't know what the outcome of the second one would be, but it seems to me that if you keep arguing that it's the will of the people that's being implemented, then you create a stronger argument for going back to the country over whatever deal is presented. And I, I'm quite surprised with my colleagues who uh, in the ERG that they don't see that that is the path that they're potentially leading the country down. Because if there is this big moment of of crisis around no deal, if or, or the Parliament rejecting the deal, um, it seems to me if 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 the cries are the betrayal of the people, then it may well have to go back. And that's not something I'm I'm advocating, but it's the logical conclusion of the argument that the ERG is making. And do you think they grasp that reality? I, 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 haven't, I, I haven't got a sense that they have, um, but I, again, as I said, I, I, it, it's, it seems unanswerable, doesn't it? You have no time at all for the argument that um, Remainers in Parliament are kind of seeking to frustrate uh, the democratic mandate that was delivered in 2016. Um, I genuinely, um, certainly from the Conservative Party and um, the, the people that I talk to and that I vote with, it's, I, and even from my constituents, I don't get the sense that we are trying to block leaving. We are not trying to block leaving. The Ken Clarks and Anna Subris are playing with fire to an extent though aren't they they have um very i mean ken's views have been well known for 40 years and let's face it you know our close ties with the european union i stood on a manifesto in 2015 that said we will remain in the customs union and the single market now that manifesto changed uh, in the election in 2017 but it still had within there a deep and special partnership and a close a comprehensive customs arrangement so it seems to me that I stood on a manifesto that wasn't you know we're going to walk away from Europe and they're our closest neighbours we have really important trading security and cultural ties with Europe and I accept we should leave the political institutions of the EU as a result of the referendum but I I would argue very strongly that that doesn't mean cutting off our economic ties. But isn't it the case that in order to kind of keep a close and special relationship, we'll have to accept some kind of European Court of Justice jurisdiction and we'll end up, if you want some of it, you have to take all of it, no cherry picking, and we'll end up very close indeed, maybe even kind of be no Brexit in name only? Well, I, I, I disagree. I mean, I think red lines were drawn very early on in the process too quickly in my opinion. Brexiteers were calling very quickly after the referendum for Article 50 to be tri triggered. And for me, it was a great source of regret, regret that we didn't stand back, set up some form of national commission that could have brought together all the parties, experts, who I know are much maligned these days, that could have gone round the country and taken evidence uh, from anyone and everyone, and come up with a report and recommendations of how we should go forward. And it seemed to me we set some red lines very early on, which are going to have to be compromised. If we want to stay as an associate member of EASA or the European Medicines Agency... EASA, what, what's... It's the European uh, aerospace... Right, OK, planes. Oh, planes. no, the space and... Oh, OK, yes. OK, complicated so, stuff, but yeah. 
Um, but there, it's the regulatory environment, and 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 we we accept all this regulation. In fact, we've led the way in introducing it. We've led the way on airplane safety. It's been British regulation and rules that have been applied not only across Europe but actually globally. Mm. Uh, just finally, we're coming up to time now. Um, but the um, the 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 Brexit process has been so extraordinary in that it has involved uh, the the willing uh, attempt to tear up so much uh, of what Britain has worked for in the past 40 years to disengage from these very long-held relationships and to um, to, to leap into the future in, in 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 a way that one might regard as being somewhat precarious in that there are all sorts of unanswered questions and and so forth the the thing that has struck me about this entire process is that first of all it's being it's it's being enthusiastically uh, pursued by conservative politicians of which you are a conservative politician but it seems in its very essence to be a fundamentally unconservative thing to do first of all to uh to decide to disengage with the carefully accrued benefits of 40 years of hard work and to uh, assume that something better is just over there so long as we leap for it. And I mean, that goes against all of the kind of innate kind of gut reactions that conservatives tend to have, which is act cautiously, make sure we look after what we have, preserve the benefits, move move ahead carefully and so on. Um, I, I I wonder whether you would agree or think that the Conservative Party, its fundamental problem is that it's not being conservative enough at the moment. Uh, well, I, I, I would say that um, the Prime Minister is being very conservative. And uh, actually, one of the issues is that we are uh, not out there making the argument of our vision for the future. And because the Cabinet cannot agree... There isn't a position that is being articulated in uh, the public debate. And that position is now being articulated in Parliament by members of Parliament. And at some point, um, the future relationship has to be outlined, negotiated and achieved. And we need to see uh, that that vision and I think we need to hear it from the Prime Minister don't we really we need to well it's collective responsibility and we do hear it from the Prime Minister and then we hear members of her cabinet going out and briefing almost immediately once she's made a statement against her and I think it's a Boris Johnson you're thinking of it's I I won't name names I'm sure everyone knows who they are Um, but I, I I just think you know they've either got to get behind the plan or resign frankly Antoinette Sandback there. The Conservative MP was talking to my colleagues Jay Elwes and Alex Dean. So that's it for this week. I'm Tom Clark. The producer was Jay Elwes. And to read more on the Conservative Party's troubles and the weakening of the centre-right, not just in Britain, but right across Europe, then keep an eye out for our July edition, which will be in the shops from the 21st of June. To read more on Brexit, visit our website at www.prospectmagazine.co.uk and you might also note that our subscription rates are very reasonable while you're there. Please be sure to tune in again soon to the Prospect Podcast. <laughs>